Welcome to Your Right to Speak, discussions on social justice and advocacy. This is episode 59, and you're listening to the Rising Youth Podcast. And I'm your host, Salvatore. On today's episode, we'll be talking with Melissa Tobin about her project called the Sunshine Swimming Camp. Melissa's project focuses on running a swimming camp for athletes with intellectual disabilities. I'm excited to have Melissa on the show today. Um, As some of you well know, uh, for longtime listeners, I'm a huge disability advocate and I also have lived experience with being part of the disability community. Melissa, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, my name is Melissa Tobin and I'm from Conception Bay South, Newfoundland. I'm a first year medical student and outside of school, I'm really involved with Special Olympics. Um, so I've been coaching for the past seven years and my main sports are swimming and bocce. Well, welcome on the show. It's Thank great you. to have you. Awesome, I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, I'm uh, excited to see where the conversation takes us. Uh, we're just gonna do what your right to speak fashion is and dive into the questions and see where this journey takes us. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> So how did you hear about the Rising Youth Grant and what was the process that took you to apply for the grant? So I actually heard about the Rising Youth Grant through the Duke of Edinburgh's Passion and Purpose Youth Forum. So in the summer of 2018, I had the opportunity to travel um, to Regina where 100 youth met for the week um, through the Duke of Ed. It's part of the Canada Service Corps program. And we had a workshop um, there about um, the rising youth grants and the process and how it kind of all works. So we were really lucky Jamal from um, the Youth Engagement Activator from Saskatchewan got to come and he told us all about the grant, how it worked, what we did and how we could apply for the grants. And then once I got home um, back to Newfoundland, he was able to connect me with my rising youth activator in St. John's. And then we were able to kind of, I was connected with her, then I was able to bounce ideas off of her, and then I was able to apply for the grant, which was actually a super easy grant application. It probably only took 30-ish minutes maybe to get done, so that was really nice. It was, um, yeah, super easy, super accessible, pretty good time. Sounds awesome. (laughs) Yeah, it was good. (laughs) Um, I was wondering, could you explain to the listeners what the role of the youth... um, was the mentor but uh the activator youth activator what what did they help you with and what their role was possibly like for you yeah absolutely so i was working with my youth engagement activator um from newfoundland and so i just connected with her before i actually even submitted my grant application Mm -hmm. just to let her know like who i was and that i was really interested in doing a project that i had just come back from another canada service corps initiative so i was just really excited really motivated so i just wanted to be like this is me hi (laughs) um so then i kind of just explained to her what I wanted my project to be like and how I envisioned using the grant um, from Rising Youth and then she was kind of able to help me like guide um, what my ideas was and kind of make it into a bit of a like better action plan Um, and then throughout the process then I would just email her and ask her for updates on how like the grant application was coming from her end and we kind of just stayed in communication um, throughout the whole project and then afterwards as well. Nice so it sounds like the youth activators role was really like a mentor and really followed you throughout the whole process and assisted you with the grant application if you had any questions and stuff like that. Yeah absolutely it was definitely a really good resource just to have someone that you could um, call or email just to ask questions and kind of get guidance throughout the way so that was really nice that's awesome 
Could you tell us a little bit about what your project is? What's it about? Uh, what drove you to start it? To just throw a whole bunch of questions at you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so my project is called the Sunshine Swim Camp, and it was actually named in memory of my friend Alyssa Sunshine Davis, um, who passed away in December of 2015. So we named the project after her. Um, and so it was a swim camp for athletes with intellectual disabilities and their coaches um, from all across Newfoundland. Um, so one of the things that um, I guess we kind of came up with the project, we wanted to focus on youth athletes and youth coaches because that's kind of all about the Canada Service Corps mission is about. So we definitely wanted to keep that going. Um, but. The goal sort of of the camp were to teach coaches um, some new coaching skills and techniques and get them comfortable with working with athletes with intellectual disabilities. And then we wanted to provide the athletes with an opportunity to be active, to learn new swimming skills, to make friends. So it was just kind of like a bunch of ideas that we wanted to do and we mm -hmm. kind of just mulled them into one big um, swim camp weekend, which is really fun. Um, so we had four swimming sessions, each focused on a different stroke or um, like skill. So we had one on front crawl, one on back crawl, one on breaststroke and butterfly, and then another one on starts and turns. So each one kind of had a different theme so the athletes could um, learn different skills. And then we could also teach the coaches about how to sort of instruct each different aspect of the swimming program. Um, then we also kind of wanted to take like a holistic approach to the weekend because um, there's more things in life besides just swimming. So we um, did dryland training. So we had a kinesiologist come in and teach us about dryland um, training, just like simple exercises that the athletes could do outside of the pool to stay in shape, but that didn't require like any extravagant equipment or anything. Um, we also had a yoga instructor come in and teach us some yoga, which is really nice. Um, and just talked about the importance of stretching like before and after doing physical activity. Um, we had a prof, Dr. Erin McGowan from Memorial University come and she did a goal setting session with our athletes. She, was, mm -hmm. she taught the athletes and coaches about how like why goal setting is important and then they kind of went through a full exercise and set goals for themselves um, for the swim camp and then as well looking in the future what they wanted to do. And then we also had a nutrition session so we taught the athletes about healthy eating and we did it in a way um, through like a Jeopardy game and they had there was like a little fish pond game so we had like lots of interactive activities the dietitian that we have is fantastic and so she really made it interactive and fun um yeah so it was just a really big weekend full of um activities and fun and memories and we also provided meals and snacks for the athletes throughout the weekend and we tried to focus like keep the healthy vibe sort of going as well um but yeah it was a really great weekend I it sounds like a great weekend. I yeah. mean, and I love that you had taken the holistic approach because there's so many different elements that need to be focused on and I just love it. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> Thank it's, you. Yeah, it was kudos to you for recognizing the holistic approach. Yeah, we thought that that was really important just because um, just in life in general, like it's so important to take sort of like a balanced approach and just like healthy eating is something that an athlete could learn and then take it with them in their everyday life. So we really just wanted to kind of bring everything all together. Well, um, so two questions, follow up questions. What was the age range for the summer camp? Um, so it was about, I would say, 12 to about 28 or so. Oh, okay. um, so there was quite an age range and then also quite an ability range as well. So mm -hmm. we had some athletes who were pretty new to swimming and then as well as some athletes who were much more comfortable and had been to competitions before. So we had a nice variety of like ages and abilities. 
how did you accommodate the different uh, ability ranges? Um, so what we did was we broke up into four groups. Mm -hmm. So we had um, coaches and athletes divided up into the four groups. And then so each group would focus um, within the session on specific goals. So for the front crawl session, we had some athletes who were just learning, like say how to put their face in the water when swimming front crawl. So they were swimming with a flutter board. And then there was other athletes who were working say on their high elbows. That's a really big thing in front crawl um, for anyone who doesn't know. And so we had athletes who were working on that. Then we had some other athletes who were working more on the speed for front crawl. So we just really tried to focus on, figure out what the athlete needs were. And then we tried to work with that in terms of like tailoring our sessions. So I had, um, there was myself and three other girls who sort of led the swimming portion of the weekend. So we each would split up and sort of lead a different group in each session. And then what we also tried to do was we tried to rotate the coaches through the different sessions as well um, so that they would spend time um, on working on the different skills so then when they went back to their community that they would know sort of about the progressions of each stroke as well for when they were teaching other athletes. What gaps are you hoping um, that your summer camp was meeting? Um, so we had two sort of gaps that we were hoping to fill. Um, so one of them, so I've been coaching for the past seven years. It's something that I'm super passionate about. I really, really love it. Um, but sometimes, and I know even when I was starting out, I was a little bit nervous because I've never coached anyone with a disability before. I didn't really know what it would be like. So we just kind of recognize that there's a lot of youth who really want to become like engaged and active in their communities, but they might not necessarily know how or where to start. And it can be like a little intimidating if you're not sure what to do. Um, so what we really wanted to do was just provide a safe space for youth to learn so that they could kind of build the skills, get confident, and then they could continue their volunteering in their communities. Um, and we also wanted to provide um, just like general coach education because we have some coaches who are so amazing who are really really great with their athletes but they don't necessarily have the swimming skills especially in our rural communities so we had one um, coach for example who taught her athletes how to swim using YouTube videos because she couldn't swim herself so we have some really like innovative things happening in our small rural communities but we kind of wanted to give them some skills that they could learn and then they could kind of improve the quality of their programs back at home um, and then we also um, sort of wanted to provide like the athletes a safe space as well for right. um, sort of like learning and growing and all of that fun stuff so I know you also created a um, like a resource guide for the coaches yes. can you explain what that looked like what kind of stuff was in there for the listeners absolutely so it was a full resource binder myself and the three girls that worked with me in the project we got together and so we we were all previously competitive swimmers and then swim instructors so we kind of have had like a pretty good knowledge of what sort of you should know for when you're swimming. Um, so what we kind of wanted to put together like an all-inclusive guide for if you like never knew how to swim and you really wanted to teach someone else how to swim, like this is what you need to know. Um, and then we also put in like some of the other holistic elements that I was mentioning earlier into our guide. So we had um, different things about all the different strokes, so, like different drills that you could do, the different progressions to get a swimmer from point A to point B. Um, we had just lesson plans. So one of the things that we did um, was we made 12 different lesson plans for each different like stroke and aspect of the 
stroke. So we broke them down. Um, so then they could just take that home with them and it would explain like how to do everything on the sheet. So if it said, okay, well, we're going to do this drill, then it explained how to do the drill. So we really just wanted to provide like as much information as we could. Um, and then what we also did with the practice sheets was we um, laminated them so then they can go in the pool as well. So then they Smart. were waterproof because um, we learned that the hard way in our program that paper sheets just get really gross and dirty in the water and then they make the pool messy. So we wanted to laminate them um, for the coaches so that they could refer to them throughout the practice. Mm -hmm. And then another cool thing that we found was that our athletes, some of them actually really liked reading the practice sheets and they would learn better from reading rather than having the coach verbally explain the skill. So that was kind of like a hidden benefit that we found um, from those practice sheets. So that was pretty cool. Um, and then we just put in things about nutrition, about healthy eating, which is also nutrition, <laughs> um, and just like physical activity in general. So different um, sort of exercises that they could do at home. Um, yeah, just like everything we could think of, we tossed in there. It was a full like one inch thick binder. So there was wow. lots of stuff in it. Yeah, it was good. You know, and really like the coaches now can take this to their community centers or whatnot, and they have this resource that they can really pass on the knowledge that they've gained from your program. Definitely. Yeah, that was one of the goals was to make sure that once the coaches got back, because we couldn't have every coach from across the island come. Right. So we really wanted to say, okay, well, not everyone could come. So at least you can bring this back and hopefully you'll take some of the skills that you learned and you can take the resource binders and you can share them with the other coaches in your program and sort of like have them act as mentors then for the other coaches. So we really wanted to kind of continue that learning. Yeah, that's great. I mean, because really what's could potentially happen is like you have your summer camp, but whatever is learned is now going to spread across the yeah. island and you know just like kind of really grow and raise that awareness that I think is so important yeah we were really hoping for that ripple effect <laughs> I think it will happen <laughs> um so you mentioned a few times about creating a safe space did you find or do you find that uh with athletes with intellectual disabilities that they really don't have a safe space or it's challenging to get a safe space um to learn different skills and how do you think we I guess as a society could address these gaps? Um, so I think athletes with intellectual disabilities definitely have a lot less opportunities to participate in sport and physical activity than say I would on a regular basis and the research shows that physical activity is really really good for everyone so we really want to try and provide as many opportunities for everybody to be active as we can um, and specifically like I've done a little bit of research as well um, for school and we know that um, individuals with intellectual disabilities also have lower levels of physical activity so the population levels are low in general but then our, for our athletes they're also typically lower than the right. general population. Um, so I think there's kind of multiple reasons that could lead to this sort of phenomenon. So I think our athletes, some of them definitely don't have access to an accessible space. So whether it's like might not be physically accessible for them, it might be um, some of our athletes with autism have a lot of sensitivities to noise and light and mm -hmm. sounds. Um, so sometimes the environment is just too stimulating. So it's not sort of a sort of safe um, space for them to be in. Um, so it's not accessible. Also, cost can be a barrier. Um, physical activity isn't always cheap to do. So that's definitely a barrier, especially since our athletes face like added financial challenges. Um, there's also stigma 
we like to think that we're sort of moving past all of the stigmas um, in society today, but unfortunately there still is a stigma surrounding people that are different. Um, so that's definitely something that can be a barrier. And there's also just less programs in general for someone with a disability to participate in. Um, there's less sort of programs like that where we would call a generic program that they could participate in and like do well in. But then there's also less programs for athletes with disabilities in general, especially in our smaller communities. This can be a really big issue because there's less people with disabilities in a smaller community. Right. So then it's harder to create a program for such like a small number of people that can often be a challenge. Um, but we have found like definitely innovative solutions to these problems. We know, um, especially in our rural communities, that it's often the families, um, the brothers, the sisters, the moms, the dads that end up um, creating programs so that their athlete does have a safe space to kind of learn and grow. So we definitely have, I think in our province are coming along. I think the future is bright, but I definitely think that we still have a long way to go. I mean, I, I would agree <laughs> with that. And I think, I love that you brought up, you know, the sensory, you know, stuff, because I think a lot of, let's say, community centers will say that they're accessible because there's like a wheelchair ramp or there's some elevators. And, you know, often what's forgotten is like the invisible disabilities. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it does get problematic. Right. Just because you have a wheelchair ramp, which is great to have, I, you know, it's important, but there's also those sensory pieces to that. How would you accommodate someone, let's say, who has um, some challenges to sensory for swimming? Um, so we try to make our just environment in general very welcoming, um, sort of non like super overstimulating. So one of the things like we're the only, we're really lucky that we have the entire pool space to ourselves. So there's no other programs going on while we're there. So we really have control of being able to limit and reduce the distractions in the environment. Um, and we also have um, in my program on Monday nights that I coach regularly, we have two different sessions. So we have a learn to swim session in the first half an hour, and that has about 15 athletes. And then in the second session, we have about 40 athletes. Um, and that's more of like an advanced sort of right. session. So if an athlete does have some specific sensory issues, um, especially with noise or crowds of people, then coming to the first session is a lot more quieter and they can fit better in that sort of session. So sometimes we tailor like which session the athlete will go to depending on their needs um we also just try to reduce like background noise so we don't have any music playing we don't um yeah there's nothing like no like lights or anything going yeah, crazy yeah, we just yeah. kind of try to like reduce any sort of extra noise that we can to make it like welcoming and then we also just make our coaches um really aware of what the athlete's needs are. So then perhaps if the athlete does have some sensory um, limitations, then the coaching techniques might be a little bit different. So maybe instead of um, like physically manipulating the athlete to show them how to do a specific skill, then perhaps that they would demonstrate it themselves or they would use another coach to demonstrate the skill. Or sometimes you can also put like say a physical barrier. So 
the athlete and you might each hold one end of the flutter board rather than you and the athlete like holding each other's hand or something as right. simple as that. So then the athlete feels more comfortable holding onto an object and then you can just hold the object too. So we definitely try to come up with creative ways depending on each athlete and every athlete is so different. So we just try to work with the athlete and then also work with their family to just figure out how we can meet their needs best and so that they can have a positive and successful experience. Mm-hmm. It must get difficult sometimes to accommodate all the individual needs of the athletes. Um, how have you been able to uh, like really meet that goal of like accommodating all those individual needs? Yeah, so it definitely can be a challenge. We have 60 athletes in my program on Monday mm-hmm. nights. Um, so it can be quite um, tedious just because mm-hmm. there's so many athletes, there's so much going on. Um, but what we really try to do is just get to know our athletes and figure out what they do um, and how we can best help them. So. Um, we'll always ask, especially when we have a new athlete come to our program, we'll say, um, like, how do you learn best? We'll ask them sort of different questions, like if they're comfortable in the water, um, the different things that we can just do, like if they have any specific learning styles or if there's a way that they respond best. So we just try to um, try to work with the athlete. And then sometimes we also ask the families as well for tips on tricks and like how to coach them best. Um, so we do that. And then we also um, just sort of like let our coaches know. So one of the things that we did this year is we actually made like a little athlete profile sheet for each mm. athlete. So we have a binder filled with all of the athletes' names and all of their, um, just the best ways that they learn best. So say if a new coach had to take them that night, well, they can look at the binder and they can say, okay, well, Jimmy really likes to swim in the shallow end, but he really doesn't enjoy the deep end quite yet, but that's something we're working on. Mm. So they, we really just try to give it to them so then we don't have to ask the athlete every time what is on the go so it doesn't get overburdensome for the athlete and their family but we also can kind of find a way to best work with them you've mentioned a couple of times of working with the family do you find that you work close with the family is that one of the goals absolutely yeah so we really try to make it as positive an experience for everyone and often the athlete and the family knows what works best for them um so we really just try to build off of the things that they're doing at home or maybe at school or in their other activities and use the same strategies to just make sure that our athlete has a really positive experience so we'll ask the family if something has worked well like what is the best way say for um like Jimmy to listen or what do you find like how does he learn best or just different little things that could just be so simple but they really go a long way rather than us having to like do a bunch of trial and error and figure out how they learn best if we can talk to the family first and figure out like how they best support them then we try to do the same thing in our program yeah and like really I mean they're living with their family there's you know stronger bonds and they know the person and how they you know learn best and you know what's worked with them in the past so it's really one making your lives easier and second it's making the athletes lives I would say easier too right Mm -hmm. because you're kind of like skipping the step of that you know trying to figure out mode and you're going straight to the core of their learning style which is great yeah well, what are the hopes for your project for the future? What are you hoping to accomplish? Um, so I really, 
was super excited with the way that my first project went and I'm really excited to kind of continue it and keep it going. Um, so I'm actually here this weekend at the Duke of Edinburgh's Passion of Purpose Bootcamp. Um, so it's a weekend where they're bringing youth who've done projects already, so part of the Canada Service Corps program, mm -hmm. and they're allowing them to pitch um, for more money to go back and sort of scale up their projects in their community. So I'm hoping to do kind of two sub-projects for my big scale-up mm -hmm. project. Um, so the first one is going to be called the Sunshine Swim Competition. So now I'll be taking um, the sort of same sort of group of athletes, not necessarily the same people, but that youth athletes, youth coaches, um, to come back to St. John's for a one day swim competition, but it's sort of going to be like an introduction to competition. So it's not going to be super formal. It'll sort of be like a fun, non-competitive competition environment where we can kind of like learn as a group and just figure out like how a competition rolls. So then everyone sort of feels comfortable when we go into say a more like official competition environment. So that's definitely one of my goals that I'd like to do um, for that camp. And then the second thing is I want to take um, the original swim camp idea, so the one that I just did this past May, and I want to bring it to Labrador. Um, so I'm from Newfoundland and Labrador, as you know, um, but unfortunately, when we did our camp um, in May, we could only have athletes from Newfoundland come. So we got as far away as Stephenville, so that was about eight hours away. So we did reach a great um, group of athletes, but we, it was too expensive to have the athletes from Labrador come um, to St. John's for the camp. So now what we're gonna do, or what I'm hoping to do is I want to bring myself and two other youth and actually bring us to Labrador um, to bring the camp to them instead of them coming oh, to us. Um, so I think that there's two clubs in Labrador. They're about six hours apart. So we'll have to kind of, we won't meet in the middle. We'll meet at one or the other. Um, and we'll bring everyone together and sort of take the lessons that we learned from the first camp, figure out what their needs are, what they're looking to sort of accomplish, and then kind of build a program, a weekend around that and do the same sort of thing. So hoping to kind of get in that holistic approach again with the different sort of activities and things. And yeah, just have a great weekend. That's the plan. Would you eventually um, branch out to other sports or it, would you just stick with swimming? Um, I also coach bocce, which I'm really excited about. <laughs> it's a super great sport. Um, and we find too that it reaches a completely different like audience of athletes. Mm -hmm. So we do have some overlap, like some of my athletes that swim also play bocce, but then we also get some other athletes as well. Um, so I definitely would be interested in doing sort of a sunshine bocce camp or yeah, something yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with a different ring to it, but sort of the same feel. It would be nice because the swim, our swim programs run from September to June and then bocce's in the summer. So it could definitely um, sort of happen during a different time of the year. I think, yeah, it right. would be a great sort of way it's to kind of continue. Yeah. I mean, I'm Italian, <laughs> so I've played it at home a whole bunch of times outside in the backyard. So yes, do it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. <laughs> and I mean, the thing with bocce is like you can you can do it in the summer like on the grass or whatever, or they even have courts indoors for mm -hmm. the winter time too. Yeah, so it's super great. And bocce is also really accessible. You only need right. like really balls to play. So mm -hmm. it's like pretty like easy sport to kind of get access to. And then also in our program, like we have ramps. So for athletes who don't have the physical ability to sort of throw the ball, um, they can point the ramp in the direction that they choose okay. and then they get to roll the ball. So there's definitely like lots of options for mm -hmm. them in terms of how they want to play the game. So, 
yeah, it's just a really great sport. That's great. I, oh, I like the rolling idea. I never that did that just occurred to me. That, that's neat. I like that. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> what is the one piece of advice you could offer people coaching athletes with intellectual disabilities? What's so there's that question, and then what is uh, the one important thing you've learned so far? Okay. Um, so the one important thing, like my one piece of advice, um, would be that everyone is different. So there's a quote that says, if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism and just one. Um, so I think the same goes kind of for all disabilities and that's similar to people in general. Everyone's different. Everyone has different sort of like feelings and attitudes and opinions and characteristics. Like everyone's different. And, um, so because of that, this is important because we need to kind of tailor our approaches um, to the specific athlete in general. So we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but I think it's really important to like talk to the athlete, figure out what's best for them, um, give them choice. So don't just assume that something that you think is going to work is going to work or something that you want to do is something that they want to do. Really just like allowing the athlete to like empower themselves, like give them the ability to make their own decisions and sort of guide them along the process. Um, And also I think it's really important to ask for help. So we're not super geniuses. We'd like to be. We're not perfect. We don't know everything. Um, So I think it's really important just to be humble and to be like, yeah, I don't really know what I'm doing right now, but I really want to know. So I'm going to ask for help and I'm going to kind of figure out how I can go next. Um, So I think it's always really important to ask the athlete first. Often they have a lot of insight into sort of how they can, how they would like to be helped, how, what works for them. So I think it's really important to talk to the athlete first and then the families, the families or their caregivers, whoever they are, they often have like really, really good knowledge about the athlete. We get to see our athletes once a week. Um, The families see them every day or their caregivers. So I think it's really important to like talk to the athlete first, but then if you need additional guidance, like to read out to the families and as well like the other coaches um, in the room are often really great knowledge maybe Mm -hmm. they haven't specifically worked with that athlete before but they see them there every week so you know it's really just great to draw on the people around you I think and just ask for help and ask for support um and then the one thing I learned um I don't know um (laughs) so I think the athletes at Special Olympics they're pretty special I like It's kind of really hard to describe the experience, but I would say that they've taught me just as much as I've taught them, um, which I think is pretty special. You can't always say that. Like, I feel like I give them a lot, but I feel like they give me even more. Um, So they've definitely taught me a lot about leadership skills, just about commitment and dedication to, like, something that you love. Um, Especially patience and empathy have been, like, super, super big characteristics that they've taught me. Um, Not to sweat the small stuff. Um, So sometimes like I'll be going in, I'll be rushing in, just left school, like having a crazy day. And then you get there and everyone's smiling and everyone's happy. And it's just so simple and pure and everything's just so lovely. And so you just kind of have to take a minute to like just be present, be in the moment, not to sweat everything else that's going around and just kind of like soak up and enjoy this experience. I think that that's like super, super special. Um, And every day is a new day. They always teach me, like, all of our athletes definitely face a lot of challenges, but they come at it with a smile. They're always really positive, and they're just, like, enthusiastic and happy to be there. They're happy to have the opportunity. So I think just kind of really embracing that, like, 
being happy despite regardless of what you face can really bring you a long way love it you you know your passion speaks through you it, <laughs> it's <you>. great <laughs> um i want to switch gears just a little bit okay um why do you think it's important for organizations such as rising youth um or like organizations to have yeah rising youth to support young people in their projects so I think that Rising Youth and other organizations, even like the Duke of Ed, mm-hmm. who I'm here with this weekend, they really believe in youth and they want to see youth do well and they kind of want to empower youth. So I really like how they're sort of like driving the youth to do to make the change. So I really think that that's super important. Just to have an organization that believes in you is really, really incredible. Um, Rising Youth and the Duke of Ed, they're making it really easy to provide like funding opportunities for youth to kind of take their projects and put them into action. So I really believe that my project wouldn't have sort of come um, and been such a success if I hadn't have had the funding um, to kind of make it happen. So I think a lot of time youth have really like creative, exciting ideas, but ideas like take money and projects yes. cost money. So without the funding sometimes, like as a student myself, I wouldn't have the money sort of to fund my project mm-hmm. with my own means. So to be able to apply for money in an easy way, like the grant application is so easy, the requirements, like anything sort of fits, like as long as you have an idea that's gonna impact youth and sort of spread the message that you can do cool things, like you can get funding, which is super cool because some grant applications have super strict criteria and it just can be like pretty like barrier just so many barriers in sort of in getting the money that it feels like it's not even worth it but that was like the completely opposite experience that I had with Rising Youth and Duke of Ed so I was really lucky that it is like a really non-barrier exciting environment like they really want you to succeed which is really great and they definitely like they provide support throughout the way and follow up so I never felt like I was alone in the process which I think is really good because like it can be discouraging if you face a hurdle. So just having support is really good. And I think it helps sort of drive the youth to do cool things. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think, you know, organizations such as these and these types of grants, I have always believed in the power of youth voice. I think there's, that's where the change can happen. Um, and you are right. There's sometimes there's so like, some of the eligibility requirements are like ridiculous sometimes and it's you know and like the grant applications are pages and pages long and it's really like writing a thesis (laughs) (laughs) which you know sometimes sets youth up for a fail right Mm -hmm. it's not fair um and it it kind of sounds like you know you would agree and i don't want to put words in your mouth but you would agree with a in me saying that, you know, organizations should make, a, you know, a shift to things like uh, Duke of Ed and Rising Youth to offer more resources to young people. Absolutely. And I think, too, like a lot of youth don't have experience of writing grant applications. Right. So to be able to get an easy grant application and to have success with it, I think will kind of strive um, or like push youth to strive to do other grant applications as well. So I think even just as like a starter seed that it's really important. But then it's also just really great for 
um, people to be investing in youth because sometimes like our generation isn't labeled super positively like we're labeled as like lazy or just other things yeah. that do, we we are we're not we're much more than that so it's really nice when there's like organizations that really believe in youth and they're providing us with like tangible funds to actually like make sure that we succeed and sort of help us along the way so i think that's really important and you know i like the, when you said it you know kind of like a seed and just starting off and being able to apply for other potential grants in the future because really you know it offers a learning experience mm -hmm. for you right and it gives you the skills that you could potentially need to write the thesis grants yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that will take forever <laughs> i have been there so i can understand that um we're near the end of the show, so I'm going to ask you your right to speak, what's become the trademark question, and okay. it's how I end the show all the time. What does advocacy mean to you? Um, so advocacy to me means a couple of different things. So it means spreading awareness and standing up for what you believe in. Um, it also means using your voice to talk about issues that you're passionate about or just causes in general that you're like that light you up inside. Um, I think it's also about working together with other like-minded people to achieve the goals that you want to achieve. So like I can have a really great idea um, and you can also have a really great idea and maybe if we have the same sort of interest like the more that we work together I think like great minds think alike. So I think like the more youth that are sort of pushing towards ideas together um, and supporting each other and building each other up is really really important and I also just think that youth can make a difference like we are like strong we're passionate we are like have like lights of fire inside like we're ready to go so I think that just like bringing people together um, and sharing that sort of like same common voice is really really special I love it it's a good way to end the show would you like to say anything else before we end off? Uh, no, just thanks so much for having me. It was great to chat. Yeah, likewise. I mean, it was great having you as a guest. I very much enjoyed the conversation and your passion does speak through you. So thank you. I'm eager to see what the future has for you. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, if anyone wants to reach out to you and learn more about the program, how would they be able to reach out? Um, so I don't have a specific social media yet for my project, but that's something that I'm definitely currently looking mm -hmm. into. Um, but for now, you can catch me on Instagram and Twitter um, at MelissaTobin22 if you want to check me out. Okay, perfect. Uh, thank you for the listen. Uh, thank you for listening to this week's episode of Your Right to Speak and the Rising Youth Podcast Edition. For more information about uh, the Rising Youth Program. Um, and what they provide and how to start your own project, please visit risingyouth.ca. Let's raise awareness together.